This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Voters often turn out in larger numbers during presidential races compared to midterms. But this year, with former President Trump raring to make a comeback and Republicans spreading misinformation in order to regain political power, it seems like the November 8th, 2022 election may be the most important midterm election of our modern era. Writing in Yes Magazine, my colleague Chris Winters explains that, quote, a huge number of Republican candidates for key statewide offices, including those overseeing elections, are election deniers who deny that President Joe Biden won the 2020 election or insist without evidence that he won only because of fraud. Chris is senior editor at Yes Magazine, where he specializes in covering democracy and the economy. He's been a journalist for more than 20 years, writing for newspapers and magazines in the Seattle area. And his latest story is entitled The Most Important Midterm Election. Welcome to the program, Chris. Hi, thank you, Sonali. Glad to be here. So why is the fear of fascism not overblown this time around. We've had, you know, corporate media often likes to say sliding into fascism or semi-fascism or the path to fascism, but it seems as though it's knocking at our door this time. That is true. Um, and, you know, unlike when, for example, I was in college and sitting in my dorm room and talking about all the fascists out there, this, you know, this isn't overblown this time around. Fascism and, and heart, right wing extreme, extremism in general in a variety of different types is on the rise around the world um, and in the U.S. as well. Um, and we are seeing it, um, you know, it, it's always been part of American culture. Um, it's always been kind of underground. And what we saw over the past six years, six or seven years, is that when, you know, with the rise of Donald Trump, he basically gave carte de blanche for those people to just kind of be open about it. And so we're seeing it all up, up on the surface right now. So when we look at the election specifically, how is it manifesting itself? Well, we were seeing armed vigilantes at some ballot boxes and we're seeing Republicans be quite open in their desire to rig the system so that they can cheat their way into power. I mean, it used to be the thing that wasn't said out loud. These days it's just being said out loud. Is that one indication to you in this midterm election that we're in such a dangerous moment? Absolutely. I mean, if we're seeing a lot of election deniers on the ballots, as as you mentioned um, in your introduction here, Washington Post has counted 291. Um, I guess your definition of what an election denier is, um, it could be. There's a little bit of gray area in debate, you know, whether it's, is this person truly an election denier or are they just a Trump patsy? And, you know, without actually denying the 2020 elections validity. Um, so I think that there's, you know, a lot of that out there. A lot of them are essentially, especially at the local races um, at the state level, um, they are running because they do not want to see a repeat of 2020 in which their guy loses. Um, they want to ensure that he will win. And we saw Trump tried very, very hard to try to get state officials to throw the election to him. Um, he failed. Um, but what the Republican Party took away from that is, oops, we got caught committing a coup, we shouldn't do that. What they said is, oh, we didn't have the right planning in place to make sure the coup would succeed. So now we're going to do that and put all the right people in place so that when 2024 rolls around, there won't be any problem. We'll just be able to say he wins and it's over. 
Chris, Democrats thought that the Supreme Court's overturning of the right to an abortion would drive people to the poll. And you point out in your article that it did in special races earlier in the year uh, that were quite close to the decision when the matter was fresh in people's minds. Uh, is timing going to be a problem? I mean, it seems so bizarre to talk about, well, if only the Supreme Court had overturned abortion a little closer to the midterms, and maybe, you know, maybe that timing was an issue for them, for the conservatives I, on the court, but is timing an issue around the abortion thing? I think so, yes. Um, and I think that, you know, the Kansas special election, which was kind of a rout um, in a lot of ways, you know, and surprised a lot of people and says, oh my gosh, goodness, you know, the midterms will be about abortion. Um, I think, as we get closer to the polls and we've, and, you know, we've seen a lot of um, campaigning coming out, you know, especially from the Republican side, trying to talk about anything except abortion. I think that that has gotten allowed us to um, get distracted in some ways. Um, and, you know, inflation and crime are the two big issues the Republicans are trumpeting. Um, and like a lot of things, inflation is up, but it's a global phenomenon. And in the US, it's actually quite moderate compared to the rest of the world. Crime is also up, but it's nowhere near the um, the uh, the highs that we experienced um, in decades past. So there's some context that's missing, and it's not being uh, picked up on, I don't think. And so it's it's confusing the uh, the information environment out there. So yeah, I mean, abortion it is a big issue, and there are definitely people out there who are voting as if you know this is the number one issue. I think that there's been a very concerted effort to get this election to be about anything else. And in some cases, in a lot of places, that's actually gaining traction. Right. We saw some Republicans in debates leading up to the election try to have it both ways by not being very clear or specific about how they wanted uh, or what their plans were for codifying abortion bans in their states. We saw in the debate between John Fetterman and Mehmet Oz, where Dr. <laughs> Dr. quote unquote Oz um, essentially uh, said that he wouldn't get in the way, but that, you know, maybe some political elected leaders might get in the way and he hoped nobody would notice. Some people did, but it's not clear how many uh, actually did. Now, I'm wondering if you think that this idea that government spending, directly spending to help people, you know, is something that the Democrats have done but haven't maybe touted enough something that the republicans claim is the slide towards socialism how does how is that seen by voters because voters are struggling financially even pre-inflation and yet time and again republicans manage to convince enough voters that government shouldn't be there to take taxpayer money to help taxpayers yeah this 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 is something that i've written about more than once in the past Democrats have a real messaging problem in that they're, it seems like they're just almost too timid to trumpet their own victories when they get them. And these are things like, um, you know, the Biden administration in general has passed a number of really substantial policies in its first two years, but you wouldn't know it by paying attention to the campaign environment out there right now. It's just getting overshadowed. They're not being very good at trumpeting. And it's like, yes, we have record numbers of, of job growth, for example. A lot of things are happening. Um, gas prices are even falling right now. You wouldn't know that if you were listening to the Republicans. So yeah, there's a lot of things out there that the Democrats could be talking about, but they're not unified in the message. And I think part of the reason is that their message is complicated. Um, 
I made a point in an online conversation not too long ago. It's like there's, you know, the Republicans are telling a very consistent story that has emotional resonance. And it's this emotional arc. People can grab onto it. I mean, politically, it you know, as I think John Stewart pointed out, you can put the, you can put the uh, you can fit their entire platform on the front of a trucker cat. But, um, you know, Democrats don't have anything comparable. They're not telling a story that has emotional resonance. They require you to go out and learn what the carried interest tax loophole actually means so that you could make an informed decision about what, you know, spending programs are going to be worked. So, yeah. And social services spending programs, that falls right into that category. Democrats love to talk about policies. They're not telling stories that can that the voters can intuitively grasp, usually. And I th that's something that they've got to get better at. Chris, do you think that voters are, Democratic voters, feel motivated enough to go to the polls because they see what's at stake? I mean, is it possible, I guess I'm asking, is it possible that this midterm election will um, go a different way than what we've seen in the past where the president's party tends to lose in their first midterm. Uh, there's a meme floating around saying, you know, as you go into the ballot box, remember January 6th, that is the most important thing that you should remember. Um, and I'm wondering if that's that story is cutting through. I think in some sectors it is. Um, there are some signs that, you know, based, uh, and I was looking for this earlier, um, early voting um, has trended upward, especially on the Democratic side. I mean, Republicans are voting in higher numbers earlier too, I think, this midterms. But definitely, you know, Democrats, you know, who those who are motivated to vote based upon these very salient issues are getting out there and they are voting. There's no question about that. Um, the question is what's going to happen on election day itself as people go to the polls and are they, you know, are these folks who are, you know, really motivated you know they're highly partisan voters or are they people who are going to the polls because it's election day and they haven't really been paying that much attention over the past couple of years but you know they're going in there and whatever's going to be front of mind is going to be what they've been talking about over the breakfast table for the past couple of days and that's about it so how that actually plays out as votes are cast and tallied in the days following election day it won't be over on election night that's for certain um you know, it, a lot of that is going to be, it's, it's kind of wait and see. I mean, a lot of the big races that, that I'm going to be paying attention to, especially the Senate races, they're all really, really close. Um, they're all within the margin of error, all the polls are. So it's kind of, you know, our elections have always been a turnout game. And whoever, whichever side gets the highest turnout usually ends up winning um, because there's just so many people who don't turn out. And that's why for those Senate races that are so close, where Republicans are able to invalidate just enough votes, they could effectively steal. Um, and, and with the Senate up for grabs, uh, with such a thin, you know, razor thin margin um, of control that the Democrats, um, you know, are, are looking like they might lose. Uh, we won't really know for a few days, as you mentioned. Uh, theft, voter theft is really important as well. Well, Chris, your article in Yes is called The Most Important Midterm Election. Uh, summarize for us in a nutshell why it is the most important. We've had some really important elections and 2018's midterm elections were really surprising in terms of 
how many progressive new uh, members of Congress who are people of color got elected. Uh, and, you know, of course, we have a different political reality now. So why is this midterm election the most important one? Um, this is kind of the election that I think is going to demonstrate for us just how powerful local state offices really are in our political system. Um, that's something else I've written about in the past, but you know, a lot of pow political power rests at the state level. And we are seeing a large number of Republicans who are election deniers and more Republicans who may not be, you know, literally deniers, but are quite firmly in the Trump camp. Um, they're running for these these local offices, governor, secretary of state, attorney general. Those These are the offices that are going to have an impact over how the next election in 2024 is going to be run. And as again, this is kind of like, you know, part two of the coup plan, essentially get their people in the right places so that when the time comes, they will be able to make the election go the way they want it to go and not the way the voters go. So and I we've think seen conservatives in this country be very good at playing the long game. I mean, the abortion decision illustrated that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, they've been working on on overturning Roe v. Wade since Roe v. Wade was first enacted or first uh, decided by the Supreme Court. So, yeah, Republicans do play a very long game and Democrats have not been able to do that very much. You know, Dem Republicans have been seating people into school boards, into local city councils um, in state legislatures. They have control of of about half of the state legislatures in the country and some of them they have. They have super majorities. Um, that's they've really built up a very deep bench of talent of people who can rise up to the national level and who can make decisions at the local level. And it seems that at least since I, I want to say at least since about 2004, I think that was when Howard Dean unveiled his 50 state plan for Congress. Um, I think it's been that long since we've actually had a national strategy that wasn't just kind of picking high profile races and this is where we're going to emphasize. So I think, yeah, it's it's an important midterm election, especially because it is a midterm and a turnout typically is lower than in uh, general elections. I think I've read somewhere that it, it runs typically 20 percent, 20, 20 points below a, a general election um, that usually so but of course so, we never know because since 2016 i feel like any predictions <laughs> have to come with a giant yeah, grain of and, salt and and take any poll that you see with a, with a grain of salt too i mean we have seen how they can be very very wrong in the past and there is a science but it's a very in a, in an inexact science <laughs> behind polling and we're going to see, you know, as I think Talking Points members Josh Marshall was pointing out, you know, we're going to see who wins and loses after Election Day, but we're also going to see which pollsters are winning and which are losing because some of them are going to be really wrong. Chris, finally, let's examine the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, Republicans, you know, and I mean that not for Democrats. I mean that worst case scenario for the for democracy, for um, for for people's rights, for voting rights, for abortion rights. Um, Republicans say they sweep the House and the Senate. Biden has control for two more years. Obviously, as you mentioned, they're going to spend these next two years laying the groundwork for Trump to return to power. What else are they going to do? I mean, all Biden can do is stave off every bit of legislation that they put forward, including probably a national abortion ban, as you point out in your article. Um, he's just yep. going to be able to hold the line and he's not going to be able to pass, of course, 
any legislation because Republicans made very clear since Obama came into power that they will veto or not be part of any significant legislation simply because it might benefit a Democrat politically, regardless of whether it benefits people. Republicans are not really interested in governing right now. Um, so their plan is basically to make the Democrats look bad any way they can. And, you know, against again, you know, they will try to pass things. Biden's going to veto them. So the, it, it's going to be a circus. And that's that's the long and short of it. The things to watch out for are going to be in those must pass bills, the ones that they um, authorize the, the, yeah, the federal budget. Um, raising the debt ceiling which which gives the government that spending power to pay the issues that are in the budget which is kind of a weird system anyways that needs to change but whatever um there is every indication that the republicans are going to use the debt ceiling as as a bargaining chip and they're going to say you know we will we will not do this we will force the country to default on its on its debts unless you give me a b and c and that would be you know some kind of political concession something you know their issues are abortion. They want to get rid of Social Security. They want to get rid of Medicare. They want to get rid of Medicaid. They want to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. Um, they want to, you know, do all sorts of things around the cultural fringe that they may or may not be legally able to do, but they're going to try anyways because that's what they do. Um, and they're going to use the debt ceiling as as their vehicle to try and ram through some of that stuff. So that's where we're really going to watch. And in the meantime, by playing it chicken with the debt ceiling like this, they're holding the entire world economy hostage. Because if the US doesn't pay its debts, that's going to undermine the entire economic system around the globe. So it's it's a bit esoteric, but it's really, really important. And they've done it before, and they are definitely going to do it again, because they are determined to undermine Biden any way they can. And they'll also try to impeach him. Um, right. Reasons to determine though reasons to be determined later but you know that's the plan you know that revenge for the impeachments against trump absolutely yeah they they are about seizing power and taking revenge on their enemies and very little else really chris i want to thank you so much for joining us we'll post a link to your story in yes magazine thank you so much thank you sonali my guest has been Chris Winters, senior editor at Yes Magazine, where he specializes in covering democracy and the economy. He's also my colleague. I'm the racial justice editor at Yes as well. And we've been talking about his latest story, the most important midterm election. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.